photography lovers! <laughs> How are you guys? I haven't seen you a whole week. So today is Wednesday and you already know that it's time for part two of our interview with a retoucher. If you haven't heard part one, go to photographypodcast.net where you'll be able to find part one, but also all of our previous podcasts, along with some spicy articles made just for you. And very soon there will be very exciting new information. So don't forget to check out photographypodcast.net. And I know that you cannot wait. So let me tell you that today we'll be talking about retouching trends. Should you stick to natural look or no retouching? How far can we go when we are retouching older people? And today in this podcast, we're answering all of your questions. So if you guys have questions for our future guests, don't forget to follow us on Instagram where you can find us under photography underscore podcast and check out our story regularly. And I know by experience that it's just so cool when a really big name in the industry answers your question. So guys, check it out. And again, you can find it on photographypodcast.net. I haven't introduced myself today, so my name is Virginia, I'm a fashion advertising photographer, and I've been on the market for more than 10 years. However, we, and by we, I mean me and the gorgeous producer of the podcast, George, we've been doing this podcast for already more than three years. So there are lots of episodes out, and you can check them all out on photographypodcast.net. I think I said this so many times that it's just finally time for the actual episode. Yeah, you guessed it right. Ooh, and what about the retouching trends? What do you think about them? Hmm. Can we say that there are retouching trends? I do think there are retouching trends. They fluctuate between natural and overdone. And it's a cycle that keeps repeating, in my opinion, throughout a couple of years. Now, I think natural is really in. I really enjoy fresh looking skin. And I like it when I can't tell whether a picture is retouched or not. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it probably is. But I like not being able to tell that, oh, that's a problematic area. The, the retoucher could have done that better. I like to be able to look at an image and see, wow, this is perfect. And it wasn't touched. I like to believe it wasn't touched. <laughs> Do you think that we actually need to retouch a lot of the photo in order to make it look like it's natural? It depends. You can't really have a black and white answer for old images. But I think that a lot of what I see could have done with less or even no retouching. And I'm talking against myself because that's literally my job. But <laughs> I prefer not over retouching because it doesn't look good. I don't like it when something is super, super retouched because who are we trying to fool? Like the picture doesn't benefit more doesn't mean better. Absolutely. Do you usually do the whole post-production along with the print prep? I usually don't do the print prep. I just do the post-production because I mostly work for web. But when I work for print, I usually hand it to the magazines to work on it because, well, I'm not connected to the magazines usually, but the photographers usually prefer that for some reason. 
at least who I work with. Here are some questions uh, from our audience, actually. So are you ready oh, for wow. this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Let's see. How far do you think we can go when we are retouching older people? Wow, that's a good question. I rarely retouch older people, but I think the basic retouching steps still apply to them. I would get rid of anything that is not permanently on the face, blemishes or, or pimples or whatever. Or if they have anything that they would prefer to be removed, mm -hmm. for example, a very specific wrinkle or a scar or something, I would do that. But other than that, I would be very, very careful with dodging and burning. And if I have the decision over it, I would keep pretty much all wrinkles. Perfect. And another one, this one is just so short, but exactly where it should be. So where do you think we can go wrong with retouching? Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I think you kind of already answered it. Most people can go wrong when they don't zoom out. Mm, that's a good one. I didn't want to pinpoint any specific area on the face. I think this problem can be solved by zooming out really far if somebody prefers that. But zoom out as much as your eyes feel comfortable. And I don't even know how to say it. If you know that it's going to be seen on mobile, zoom out until the image becomes that phone size. Mm -hmm. I feel like the phone is way more prominent in terms of where we see the images. But if it's going to be used for a billboard, obviously you still need to zoom out because people will see it from afar too, not yeah. just from closer. But I feel like that might give you a bit of a leeway. You can zoom in a little because also it's going to be huge. You won't see all the details because when they blow up an image, if you go close, you'll see these blobs of color, but still it's from a specific distance. It will be visible if there are mistakes, but I think most people don't retouch for billboards. So the best you can do, zoom out and don't try to retouch everything. Sometimes I, I find myself doing this. I'm super guilty of it. I, I love to zoom in. <laughs> wow, I'm such a hypocrite. But I love to zoom in, but I also know when to stop. So I like to zoom in and I like to clean up everything. And sometimes I need to stop myself because although I didn't do anything in dodging and burning, the skin already looks soft. So it's not just a dodging and burning thing. You don't need to zoom in to get rid of every single peach fuzz or, or everything on the face, you know, you can do most of the retouching with dodging and burning. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when I'm not really seeing what I'm going to be doing, I like to um, dodge and burn first, which sounds a little weird. And I don't, I don't do the whole thing first, just um, some rough outlines and some very, very obviously bad areas that I'm going to be dodging and burning anyway. But when I do that, the skin looks pretty good. I, I just go back to clean up a couple of things. First of all, sometimes it's way, way faster and I get a much more natural result. 
people really like to hold themselves to these strict workflows, but it doesn't always have to be the same because every image is so different that if you just deviate from your original workflow to adjust your vision to the image, that can be very, very beneficial. Because with this dodging and burning things, I only do it when I have really, really rough luminosity issues. Sometimes I think, oh, that is texture, and I try to heal it and clone it. And that's a mistake because that thing can be sold with dodging and burning way better, but I meticulously follow the cleanup dodge and burn color workflow. I uh, tend to forget about it that, hey, I'm going to have a dodging and burning step and this can be fixed with that. So that's why I like to morph my workflow because when you're flexible, you can get so much better results. And that's a really important thing to learn as a beginner retoucher. I wish somebody told me because I tended to follow what everyone said on the internet. <laughs> and that was good for a while. But then I realized that, look, this is not necessarily sustainable if I want to stay sane. I think this is actually a great advice. Even if you're not a retoucher, it can apply to everyone in the industry and probably everyone in life. <laughs> well, I hope so. Yeah. We actually have lots of questions from the audience today. So another one is, if you can tell us a little bit more about handling skin color. And I think this is a very deep question. We can go into many details over here. Yes, we can. <laughs> when I discovered Capture One, I was blown away. And I think that made my skin color correction a million times better because Capture One handles skin tones amazingly. I like to start my workflow with correcting skin tones while I'm doing the raw process because I can do the same thing in Photoshop, but I feel like Capture One does it so effortlessly and quickly that I don't feel like doing it in Photoshop manually and spending a lot of time on it. I tend to do that and I try to stay true to the person's skin color, but I try to make it as even as possible. If somebody has like a very yellow toned body, but their face has a lot of red in it, I will probably try to make the whole skin's color closer to the body, but I don't want to make it too yellow because if I deviate a lot from the face's original color, it will look weird. So I try to find a middle ground. And when I go to Photoshop, I usually just do this basic color and when I do the Photoshop corrections, it's all local and very targeted. Mm -hmm. And then I do the color grading. So my skin tone process is in Capture One so that when I'm going to Photoshop, I already have a very, very good base to work on. Because I feel like if I do the skin first, I won't need to go back because it's one of those things like no one's going to tell me, oh, could you please take a little bit back from that good color on her face. <laughs> I try to neutralize my images in raw processing and the skin color is a main aspect of the raw processing. So I don't have to deal with that in Photoshop, but I still do some small things because I don't flatten the color and the hue and so that I have lively colors. 
I really like that right now we are talking about colors because the next question from the audience is about black and white retouching. And if we have to do something different compared to the moments when we're retouching in color. I don't do many black and white photos, but I dodge and burn with visual aid anyway, which is black and white. Mm -hmm. So I just treat the whole retouching process like I'm retouching with a visual aid. I don't think there's much in terms of the workflow. I treat it the same, but it might not be the same for somebody. I don't know. There is another question. We actually have lots of questions today from the audience. And the question is, does the brand of the camera makes a really big difference for you? I think it's an interesting one. Honestly, the brand of the camera doesn't make me go, yay, it's a Canon shot. Although I do prefer Canon, I must say, but it's only because I work mostly on Canon shots for some reason. And when it's something else, I'm just a little surprised. But other than that, I, I don't feel like there's much difference because the algorithms and the post-processing has so many options that it does matter what you put in, but you can get so much out of all that information that already exists so that the camera is only important because of the lens for me. And also, I like it when it's not super noisy, which not all cameras can handle well. But yeah, that's that's it. No brand preference for me. I thought that you'll say something different because As a photographer, I can tell that, for example, the Canon shots are a little bit more reddish and the Nikon shots, let's say, are a little bit more green and blue. If we talk about higher brands, the color is completely different, especially the skin color. If we talk, for example, about Hasselblad. So I really thought that your answer is going to differ a little. But this was also very interesting for me. So let's go to another question that I find very interesting and super important about retouching. And the question is, do we need to know anatomy? We do. Right? <laughs> If you don't, I'm sorry, but you're not a good retoucher. But you can learn. Don't worry. <laughs> you can absolutely learn. There's nothing lost. Learn it. I know it's weird to say, I don't like to say such things, but anatomy is is crucial. It's so weird when people put highlights and shadows where there is nothing mm -hmm. and it really throws the eye off. You can tell that, oh, wow, this doesn't look good. I don't know why. Yeah. It also depends on who sees the image because if the model sees herself, it's weird because They might not recognize themselves the same way, or they can tell that, wow, that was not great and they really messed up this part. But obviously, you're probably not the model. So let's talk about the audience. Yeah, it's the same for other people. We recognize faces and we can recognize when there's something off about a face. And in real life and also and digital images is there's not much difference i reckon try to respect ratios and respect the way the face receives light and create shadows and highlights and try to um use methods that are very focused on luminosity specifically thinking of luminosity mask for example 
I notice sometimes that people like to apply highlighter, for example, with dodging and burning. They start dodging and burning around the highlight area, but they tend to move a little sometimes. And that little movement can lift the face or make it droopy or just look super unnatural. But if you like to enhance highlights, I would suggest you use luminosity masks because it already has the information, the luminosity information, and it will only target the areas where there is something and you can really, really target the curves and you don't have to manually choose where to place those highlights and shadows. So you just keep the original anatomy of the face. Ooh, guys, you just received a free advice from Real Pro. <laughs> uh, so write it down right away. <laughs> okay, we have one last question from the audience today. Guys, if you want to be an active part of our podcast, just follow our Instagram account. It's photography underscore podcast on Instagram. You can find us there. You can ask us questions. You can send us DMs. And these questions we are going to forward to our amazing guests. So the last question for you, I think is going to be super easy for you to answer is, what do you think is a good returning period for editorial retouch? Well, that depends on what the photographer and their team needs. In my opinion, I don't think it should depend on the retoucher. I think they have a deadline to hit and I will work around that. So I think that is my answer. I really don't know how to answer. Ooh. So what if it's a collaboration and it's just a starting photographer and a starting retoucher? They both have no idea what is supposed to be the returning time. So what would you suggest them to say? Well, first of all, communicate because you need to communicate, period. True, yeah. <laughs> you need to know what the other person can do. And how fast can that be done? And how fast can it be done well? If you're a beginner retoucher and you have no idea how long this will take, don't worry. First of all, don't promise anything if you don't know. Just discuss a specific time frame and check in with the photographer. A specific time frame for when you check in because you might have other stuff to do, but Make sure to check in and send updates and let the photographer see what you're working on. And if they don't like something, they can point at it and say, do this thing differently on the rest of the series. And yeah, you work out how long it takes. It takes a lot of practice to know how fast you can do certain things just by looking at an image. So when you're starting out, just practice and time yourself. I always time myself, no matter what I do, no matter if it's collaboration or a paid job, I always time myself so I know on average how long it takes to retouch a specific kind of picture just by looking at it because I have references from previous jobs and you will know after a while. Well, this is actually very interesting that you said that you're timing yourself. Do you think that a retoucher is supposed to quote on the time that they spend on the photo or just per photo? It's a really touchy subject. I prefer quoting on time 
But it's also true that just because you can do something fast, it doesn't mean it should be cheaper because they also pay for your expertise, not just the time you spend on it, because if you're great, you'll probably make it faster. So I don't know. I, I really think it should be a personal question for every retoucher. Somebody I know likes to quote per picture. I personally don't like to do that because I don't have the clients yet where I can say, okay, it's going to be this much per image. And I know I will be satisfied in the end because if I can say it will be X amount of money per image, and I know that I can not only complete that in that time frame, but also profit on it, I don't mind to say that, yes, it's going to be this much for the whole series. I prefer to say, okay, it's going to be in this ballpark and I can kind of tell, but not per image. I'm not there yet. Do you have a specific program maybe that you're using for timing yourself or maybe just a clock? <laughs> <laughs> no, the clock wouldn't be very efficient for me because I would always forget. I have Toggle. I don't remember how much I pay for it. I pay for it annually, but I think it's about $10 a month if anybody's interested. You can have projects and different tasks, different clients, and I really like it. That sounds awesome. We're even going to put a link in the show notes to it, so you know where to find it. And when we are on the topic of time, what is the project that took you the longest time to retouch? I used to do a lot of e-commerce. Sometimes I had to retouch thousands of images and those take a long time. <laughs> I think the longest one probably took me a month. Wow. Which was absolutely soul crushing. And I don't like to do e-commerce anymore because they are repetitive, boring, and nothing creative comes out of it. And they take the longest time. <laughs> and what about the shortest period of time? Two hours. Sometimes I have one of images which... I don't really like, but those are quick. But when it comes to editorials, when it's five, six images, it's possible to turn that around within a couple of hours if there's a, not a lot of retouching involved. And what is the next big thing, the next amazing project that you're super excited about? Or if there is not a particular one, what is the project that you would be super excited about? The projects I'm most excited about, I can't talk about because I'm under NDA, which is so unfortunate. But I have a lot of really good editorials coming up that I'm proud of. I know I will have even more. So I'm just waiting for those to come out because I have a lot of great new clients who shoot amazing stuff. So I'm waiting for those to show off. Sounds great. And we cannot wait to see them. So guys, you know where to follow her? you know where to go and take a look at her work. In the show notes on photographypodcast.net, you'll be able to see her website and also a link to her Instagram account. And I want to say thank you very much for this conversation. It was so nice to talk to you. Oh, thank you. That was it, guys. Part number two is over. And this was the end of our interview with Luca. You can check out her Instagram account and all of her links on photographypodcast.net. Just as usual, we'll keep you updated with all of the news around her and you can see those updates on our Facebook group called The Fashion Photography Podcast. How unexpected, right? <laughs> 
Thank you guys so much for being with me today. And don't forget to come back again on Friday because it's going to be time for the Friday episode with me, Virginia. Thank you guys again. And I cannot wait to see you on Friday. Bye.